0: 2023 has been loaded with some epic photography podcast conversations. In this episode, we are going to be covering the best of the podcast of this year. Hello, everybody, and Merry Christmas, if you're listening to this, the day it came out. Um, If you're not or if you don't celebrate Christmas, happy holidays. I hope you guys have a great start to the new year. Whenever you listen to this episode, I just hope you're doing really, really well. Really excited to have you back with me for another episode. Uh, I've now been doing the podcast for most of this year. Um, And in this episode, I wanted to cover kind of the best of. um, And so I've picked out six little snippets from different podcast episodes from the year that I'm going to have you listen to that if you've listened to every episode of the podcast, you've already heard it, but it might be a little refresher for you um, to re-listen to some of these things again that I think are just so incredibly helpful. If you haven't listened to all the episodes, this will expose you to a few of the amazing guests I had on and a little snippet of the episode that they were in. So I'll be sure to mention um, each episode, like the date that it came out. I think that's probably the best way for me to help you guys. So that if you do hear something you like, or there's an episode you didn't listen to that you feel like would be really helpful, you can still find it, go back in time and download that episode. Cause there was so much good stuff on the podcast this year. I think there's a little bit of value in so many different ways for so many different kinds of photographers and people that are doing it as a hobby, trying to do it as a job, whatever maybe. I think there was a lot of helpful things. So I'm really excited. Let's go ahead and look at the first little snippet um, from an episode that was just so, so incredibly helpful. Now, on this episode, I spoke with photographer Randy Hopfer. More importantly, Randy owns a metal print shop called HD Aluminum. They're located in Vancouver, Washington. Great print shop. Um, print your stuff up there, especially if you're in that area. But what I talked to Randy about in that episode is just some things of trying to make your prints a little bit better. A particular snippet that I'm going to share in this podcast episode was a question that I asked Randy regarding what? What kinds of photos sell now even though Randy might not be doing a lot of art shows himself he obviously knows what sells because he's seeing photos come through his shop and he's printing things out so I asked Randy what kind of photos sell now if you want to listen to this episode it was the July 3rd 2023 episode go give it a download I think you will really really like it but I don't want to wait any longer here is Randy's answer when I asked him what prints are really selling the most these days
1: I mean, right now, 90% or better of all the prints we do are landscape or wildlife photography, with the far greater number being landscape. And I think it's more um, more about uh, maybe the selection of your images and trying to come up with something that looks somewhat consistent throughout your entire display. Um, so, for example... I would photograph and sell um, I would photograph items that represent the area that you that you're trying to sell. I almost said the area Absolutely. you're trying to live, but you might be selling, <laughs> maybe, you might be selling around the Northwest, for example, or in the southwest. I would photograph subjects that your customers are familiar with. Something that gives them a happy warm feeling, comfort feeling, that they might want to put in their home or maybe their business. They might be looking for, you know, multiple of prints to uh, go inside a business. And I think within that, I think it's important to consider printing maybe bigger than you might think because uh, with metal prints, people will buy big prints. And then Uh the next thing is to think about your uh, aspect ratio. So believe it or not, the panoramic shaped or uh, horizontal panel prints sell really well relative to to a standard two by three or four by five.
0: Well, on July 31st, 2023, I released an episode where I talked with Joshua Cripps. Now, Joshua had so much good stuff to share with us when it comes to planning for sun and moon photography and just planning for photography in general. I think he's a master when it comes to planning out a photography shoot. So he had a lot of really great stuff to share. One of my favorite snippets from the episode with Joshua Cripps is when he talked a little bit about compression, which is a term in photography that you'll see a lot of advanced photographers using quite a bit, but newer photographers maybe don't know about it as much or they don't know how to use it. Um, And so he shares with us what compression is, why you would want to use it, especially when it comes to sun or moon photography. Here's a little snippet from Josh Cripps on compression. A compression
2: is such an incredibly useful tool when it comes to creating impact, not just with a foreground element, but with a background element as well. You know, I think a lot of us, when we get started, we love those in-your-face foregrounds, and like that's that's it. That's all I chased for ten years. You know, and you got to find the most incredible punch you in the eyeballs foreground. And uh, one of the downsides of doing that. Uh, when you go with your super wide angle lens to emphasize your foreground is your background gets really small. And so you lose a little bit of the emphasis on your background element. And the idea behind compression is simply that you can adjust the relative impact of your foreground and your background by stepping back and zooming in. And the more that you step back and zoom in, the more that your foreground element will become minimized relative to say a wide angle shot where you're right up on top of it, but the more that your background element will become exaggerated. And so if you were just as an example, uh, well, it's it, speaking of the moon, you know, go out and photograph the moon with a wide angle lens and it becomes this 10 little bright pixels in your frame. You know, your foreground is big and, and powerful, but the moon is this little speck. And so if you want the moon to appear larger Yeah. The more you can back off from your subject and zoom in, uh, then the more that basically you're, uh, you're sort of minimizing the, like the farther away you get from your foreground subject, the smaller it becomes relative to the background element. And then when you zoom in, you magnify both of those things and so the background element just gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the foreground element gets smaller and smaller. And so depending on what's important to you, what you want to emphasize, um, that is a great tool to keep in, in, the, in the playbook. And, and I mean, it can just make, if you really want to provide a sense of scale, um, if you want to show people the world in a way that they don't typically notice it, then that tool of standing far back from a foreground and zooming way in with on some compelling background. I mean, it can just make mountain peaks look enormous. Like if you have a small figure in front of a mountain peak that you're far away and you zoom in, gosh, it's just the coolest sense of scale. Or with the moon again, you know, you can step back. Like I'm looking at Mount Whitney right now and you know, the face of Mount Whitney is 1500 feet tall, the East face, but I can make the moon appear almost 1500 feet tall. If I just go far enough away from Mount Whitney, you know, the mountain gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The moon stays the same size relative, you know, in the sky and I zoom in and, uh, yeah, that's how, uh, you can create a huge impact, uh, with your background element.
0: On September 11th of 2023, I spoke with Brant Ryder, someone who knows a heck of a lot about photographing the Milky Way. It's certainly something I'm interested in, and I think a lot of you guys are interested in as well. He shared so much great advice for like tips on how to capture more compelling images after dark. Uh, there's so many tips and techniques that we talk through in that one particular episode. Now, one thing that's obviously more difficult after dark is finding those compelling compositions. That's something that I asked Brant about, and I loved his answer for how he recommends finding great compositions after dark, in the dark. Um, And here's his answer that he shared with us. Yeah,
3: I mean, I think this goes back to the planning piece, right? Like scouting, scouting, scouting. Um, you're not going to get amazing night photos without putting some forethought into what you're, you know, what you're shooting and, um, and trying to find unique compositions. You know, again, you're not going to find those by happenstance. You're going to go out there. You're going to have a vision of what you want to shoot, but then you're going to have to spend some time finding it and doing that during the day when you can see, I think is really, really important. Um, using, you know, general photography, compositional rules, all of those things apply, you know, to to night photography, rule of thirds, leading lines, symmetry, balance in your images. Um, And uh, I think that those are all important. Of course, there are going to be unique elements that you need to consider in night photography. So if you are, for example, taking your foreground exposures at night, you have to remember that you're going to be taking very long exposures and any subtle movement in the foreground is going to create blur and you're going to have a hard time getting a sharp image. Um, so that's that's something that I would tell people to consider. Always consider kind of the scale of the Milky Way and what focal length you're shooting the scale of the Milky Way at. And if you are blending images, making sure you're shooting your foreground so that you have enough uh enough of the sky in the image so that you can if you're blending in your milky way you have space for it and you're not going to be trying to juggle that in post-processing um and then i think um, the last thing i would say and this is actually something i learned from another photographer is when you're taking blue hour photography in general is um you know like a a kind of a golden rule is, is side light is amazing. You know, directional light isn't as good as side light. And so thinking about the directionality of light on your foreground um, is really, really an important, you know, feature uh, I think for night photography. So um, I use that oftentimes in my blue hour, I think, okay, here's my blue hour foreground. Where's the light going to be coming in, um, you know, from the, from the rising or the setting sun so that I can get some of that nice soft light on the foreground, um, from the
0: side. On September 25th, 2023, I spoke with Sean Bagshaw, who is somebody that knows a heck of a lot about luminosity masking. In this particular episode, we talked everything luminosity masking from what is a luminosity mask all the way to how to use them particular little snippet that I cut out of this episode that I really liked is when I asked Sean exactly how he uses luminosity masks if there's a way that he recommends other people use them and he shared with us some of the most common ways that he uses luminosity masks which I think is well worth a listen to because you may like the way that he uses them and find that you want to use them in your own work or find some inspiration or whatever maybe here's a little snippet from Sean Bagshaw's podcast episode
4: Well, the, probably the ways that I use them the most, um, I, like, as you just said, they can be used in an nearly virtually unlimited number of ways and generated in all kinds of formats to fit the type of adjustment that you're trying to do. But I would say, uh, the first thing that I use them the most for are kind of global tonal adjustments. So you know, in Lightroom or Camera Raw, we've got sliders. So you've got a highlight slider and you got a shadow slider and you got a black slider and you got a white slider. So you can adjust all of the highlights or all of the shadows, um, which I do that. (laughs) But in Photoshop with a luminosity mask, you can target further adjustments to those tonal ranges in a lot of ways. So instead of just having a slider for making the highlights brighter or the highlights darker, I can make a highlights luminosity mask on an adjustment layer, and I can put that on any kind of adjustment layer. So if I want to use curves to adjust brightness and contrast of just the highlights, I can do that. Or if I want to um, adjust the saturation of the highlights, I can do that. Or if I want to adjust the clarity of the highlights, I can do that. And that's all done seamlessly with no obvious edges to the adjustment. It just perfectly blends into from the highlights into the midtones, for just a seamless, really clean, natural adjustment. Uh, so that's one way, you know, working with tonal ranges to make all kinds of adjustments based on tonal range. Uh, another thing that I'm doing a lot with luminosity masks is what Tony kind of developed and coined the term luminosity painting. So this is where you take a luminosity mask and then make a selection out of it. And then you use that selection as my friend, Nick page says as a stencil and you use it to do dodging and burning. So instead of dodging or lightening, everything equally, you can lighten just the highlights because you have a lights luminosity selection as a stencil, or you could lighten just the shadows. And same with burning, you could burn just the shadows or burn just the highlights or burn just the mid-tones. And you can even control, you know, what degree of mid-tones or highlights or shadows. So dodging and burning or luminosity painting, it's a, it's a very precise, way to kind of sculpt light and shadow within an image um, based on the actual luminosity values of the image that are there. Um, So those are probably the two most common ways. And in fact, I do a ton of dodging and burning these days. That's kind of the, the main way that I'm doing a lot of my adjustments. But like you said, there's unlimited ways you can do exposure blending, you can do color grading, you can do um, noise removal, you can do um, saturation control, all of that can be done and using these masks to control.
0: something that might not be that important to you, but it certainly is important to me is creating realistic looking images. I talked to someone who I think is so incredibly good at that in David Danette. This podcast episode aired on October 30th, 2023. We talked about all things creating realistic photos. David is just so good at it. And so I really wanted to pick his brain on some ways that he creates realistic photos. Particular little blip I took out of that episode covers um, exactly how like mistakes, I guess would be the best way to put it. Mistakes that people make when they are creating photos or editing their photos or whatever it is, basically mistakes that are going to prevent you from creating a realistic looking image. David had a great answer for that question. Here it is.
5: Yeah. and, And this is, I think everybody is, is at a different stage in their photography journey, and you know, including myself, I'm I'm constantly learning new things. But you know, one of the pieces of advice for for beginners, for example, is you know, thinking about over processing images. It is so easy to do that. Again, there's so many different editing tools out there. It's easy to get carried away. And just because you have these tools, doesn't mean that you have to or you should use them all. You know, thinking about you know, the process of, of editing an image, it's, there's only certain parts of the image that really need to be processed and and brought to life. And I think if you're looking globally, then you're looking too far, you know, looking at individual pieces of an image, I think will prevent, you know, the artist from getting carried away in, in their post-processing. And, you know, another thing that, I I see as a common mistake is photographers will finish a trip, they'll go home and they'll start processing their images right away and boom, they post it. You know, I don't like to do that because I feel like I'm emotionally attached to the image. I have this expectation that, you know, when I was there 24 hours ago, it was the greatest sunset the world's ever seen. And then when I get it, into my Lightroom catalog, and I'm sourcing through the images. It, it can be a little bit disappointing, right? So I like to let things really settle down. It's okay to look in there and hey, make sure that you've got you know you've got some good quality images that you can work with. But let them breathe a little bit. Put them aside. Revisit them when you're in the the right creative head headspace, and just don't rush through the processing um, process and take your time with it and your images will definitely reflect that, that level of patience as they will look more natural because you'll be able to to point out the mistakes in your processing as you're looking at the image two or three different times with a fresh set of eyes.
0: Well, obviously, as landscape photographers, color is so incredibly important to getting really, really high quality and good looking photos. I think somebody that really nails their colors really nicely in their photos is Doug Shearer. I talked to Doug here uh, on November 13th, uh, 2023. uh, That's when the episode aired. And we talked about all things of getting perfect colors in your photos. The particular little blip that I captured from that episode that I'm going to share with you today talks about the order of operations when adjusting your colors, what you should do first, um, obviously we all know division comes before addition um, we're speaking in math terms of course but um, in all seriousness I think Doug has a lot of great things to share when it comes to really nailing the colors and editing the colors just right in your photos here's what Doug had to say about the order of operations when it comes to editing colors in your images I
6: yeah I have a, a- probably have a certain order. Uh, first thing I would do is probably, uh, uh, adjust the hue saturation, use that. And, and then I go into, into raw and, and uh, tinker once again with the, with the color, um, uh, in the color mixer there and the, the luminosity. And then after that, um, I, I I don't tend to use anything or do anything that would impact a large portion of the, of the image. I'm, I'm just kind of dealing with individual uh, elements of it, whether it's trees or leaves or foreground or whatever. So, uh, and I just, I don't think I do anything too drastic that would um, uh, really impact the overall quality of the image. I, I do try and stay away from the sky and not do anything with the sky until maybe the very end. And, and then I know I haven't kind of, you know, I haven't messed it up by stuff I'm doing with, with the the foreground. So then at the very end, I'll, I'll kind of work with the sky and, and then pretty much done. But I, I, I probably, you know, again, I'm, I'm older. I'm not the, the most technically advanced guy out there. I, I, you know if a change comes along on my iPhone I got to call my kids to find out what's going on so <laughs> I, I don't um so there there are so many things in Photoshop you know so many uh you know plugins and and and, and filters and things that you could be using and um I just not smart enough to figure out what all those things are so I don't tend to use a lot of them and I think there's a danger in in trying to use too many of them sometimes you, j- you just don't need it and you can overwork something just for the sake of well it can't be done I haven't I've only got six layers I got to do more you know <laughs> and uh, yeah. sometimes depending on the image that's all you need just stop <laughs> or at least uh, put it aside and come back later and see if if, if there's anything else you can do
0: Well, if you made it this far, I know that song is going to be stuck in your head. Sorry. I, I feel like I should have done something different other than just repeat it between every little episode, but I didn't know what to put in there. Um, so sorry about that, but thank you guys so much for listening. Of course you should check out all the episodes that are mentioned here and just all the episodes in general. Um, while I think that, there's probably not something uh, There probably everything isn't going to be for you, but there's certainly some good stuff on the podcast here, depending on if you want to try and do it as a business or you just do it as a hobby or you want to get better at editing or you want to get better at astrophotography. I try to cover it all when it comes to landscape photography. This being the last episode here of 2023, I want to thank you all so, so much for listening. It's been a fantastic year on the podcast, the very first year of the podcast, and I'm so, so grateful to be doing this talked to so many great guests. I've had so many great listeners that have reached out to me, man. I love hearing from you guys. Like seriously, now I'm probably getting like an Instagram DM every week or so, or an email or somebody just reaching out saying, Hey, they enjoy the podcast. I love hearing from you guys, man. Reach out to me. Um, Let me know what you like. Let me know what you don't like. I'd love to get some criticism. If there is some things you don't like on the podcast here, do I talk too fast? Do I talk too slow? Um, Is there something you'd like to see me cut down a particular question you want me to ask more people, whatever it is, I am here for you. I want to make a podcast that is just so dang helpful for anyone that is trying to become a landscape photographer, trying to get better at landscape photography. Um, And I'm so thankful for all the listeners and how much this podcast has grown this year. Really looking forward to a great start to 2024. We've got a great episode coming out next week. I'm really, really excited for that one. Um, You guys will have to wait until the first to hear what that one is, but really hope you guys have a nice holiday. Um, Great Christmas if you celebrate uh, or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. I hope you have a good one. Thank you guys so much for listening to the Learn Landscape Photography Podcast. This is your host, Austin James Jackson. We'll see you guys next year. Adios.